My name is Jasmine Se, and I'm a journalist in Hong Kong. I was speaking to a local publisher in a busy shopping mall, and our conversation was going pretty well, until he started stuttering and stammering and evading my entire question. What I, what I can say for that is not is not good for broadcast. Um, uh, uh, I can make a more general point. Um, everyone has to. Um, um, Let's come back to that. All right, okay. Let's put a pin on it. <laughs> what made this Hong Kong publisher so nervous in this supposedly open and free global city? When I first embarked on making this podcast, I wanted to focus on Hong Kong bookstores, particularly Hong Kong bookstore closures. A few months earlier, in the fall of 2021, I heard about the news of a local bookstore closing. The owner said he was doing so because of politics. Hong Kong is under China's jurisdiction, but it's always retained a high degree of autonomy. The city guarantees certain freedoms which aren't granted in the mainland, including freedom of assembly and speech, an independent judiciary, and other democratic rights. Back in 1968, when Hong Kong was under the British Empire, Australian journalist Richard Hughes described Hong Kong as a borrowed place living on borrowed time. It's an impudent, rambunctious, freebooting colony, Hughes wrote in his book, naked and unashamed, devoid of self-pity, regrets, or fear of the future. Technically, Hong Kong is still under borrowed time. Its one country, two systems arrangement doesn't formally end until 2047. But many international observers, news media, foreign governments, and much of the Hong Kong population feel that all of these rights and freedoms have now slowly eroded. Some say it's the end of Hong Kong, others say it was only a matter of time. As an American myself, and coming from a land where rights and freedoms are often taken for granted, to witness a bookstore close because of politics? This was alarming and unnerving, and it hit a bit too close to home. So I began to investigate this. As I conducted interviews and dug a little deeper, I realized this story is a lot more complex than I originally thought, because bookstores aren't the only ones in Hong Kong that are feeling the pressure of politics. This is Borrowed, Episode 1, The Publishers. Up until a while ago, Hong Kong didn't seem to have any censorship. Compared to the mainland, there is a free internet, there have been newspapers of various political stances, and no one needs permission to print books. Or so I thought. As I looked a bit closer, I realized this wasn't true. In a journalistic expose, Hong Kong's public news media organization broadcasted a stunning report that revealed there had always been an invisible hand working behind the scene, quietly exerting control over Hong Kong's publishing industry. Four years ago, on May 14th of 2018, an RTHK program called Hong Kong Connection made a shocking revelation. The broadcast revealed that Hong Kong's three largest publishers were owned by a company called Sino United Publishing. And after tracing through various shell companies and political elites, Sino United Publishing was found to have been controlled by one entity. That's the liaison office of the Central People's Government in Hong Kong. In other words, more than half of the bookstores in Hong Kong, as well as nearly 30 publishing houses, are all under the control of the Chinese government. 
Actually, RTHK wasn't the first to report about this. Next Magazine, which was part of the now-defunct Apple Daily, had made the same report three years earlier. But in 2018, this had caught many Hong Kongers' attention. While they thought censorship wasn't much of a concern, they soon started to connect the dots and realized that soft censorship and economic controls of the city's publishing industry have always been at play. Well, for some people, this news wasn't so shocking. Oh my god. Oh, actually, no. We already knew there was this kind of uh, red capital. That's Albert Chung. He's an independent publisher in Hong Kong, and he's been in this industry for a very long time. I'm not young anymore. I'm pretty old. Not pretty. I'm really old. I entered this industry back in the year 1986. 1986. And according to Albert, the connection between Hong Kong's three largest publishers and the Chinese government was common knowledge within the publishing industry. When people say red capital, they are referring to money from mainland China. Back when Hong Kong was under British colonial rule, we knew these three Sino publishers were established with political means. They are obviously doing business, but if needed, they will also provide a political function. We already knew about this, but the larger public got to know about this during the time frame that you mentioned. Inside the publishing industry, everyone already knew about this. A few days after the RTHK program was broadcasted, a journalist asked Hong Kong's top leader, Chief Executive Carrie Lam, whether the liaison office's control of Sino United Publishing was a violation of one country, two systems. Carrie Lam said that the liaison office is the central government's organization in Hong Kong and that there was no need to interfere as long as the liaison office was law-abiding. The mini-constitution that governs Hong Kong is called the Basic Law, and under Article 22 of the Basic Law, it stipulates that no authority under Beijing may interfere in the affairs which Hong Kong administers on its own. And under Article 27, it says Hong Kong residents have, among other liberties, freedom of publication. Four years earlier, in 2014, Sino-United Publishing had been accused of censorship. The Student Union of University of Hong Kong had published a book titled Hong Kong Nationalism. The students accused Sino-United Publishing of removing the book from its retail bookstores at the start of the 2014 pro-democracy Occupy movement. A few months later, it was reported that Sino-United Publishing had received orders not to sell any books related to the Occupy movement. And at around the same time, the three big publishers under Sino-United Publishing, that is, Joint Publishing, Chonghua, and Commercial Press, were reportedly being pressured by Beijing to release books with an anti-Occupy agenda. Back then, one of the initiators of the Occupy movement, Chan Kin Man, expressed his concern about this situation. He said, People might not easily be aware that what is being displayed in the major bookstores is already the result of censorship. They thought they had choices. I wanted to ask Albert how these three Beijing-backed publishers affected him. There isn't a substantial problem because they are mainstream publishers. Mainstream publishers appeal to the mass and they will avoid certain topics. Because if they don't, it will have huge consequences and affect their business. On the other hand, independent publishers do not mind touching on these topics 
because they are not counting on appearing to the mass in order to survive. Instead, they try to find a small market, then they are okay. Ever since he started his company, Dirty Press, in 2008, Albert has strayed from publishing books of a particular topic. I don't directly deal with immediate political topics. There are some publishers who are interested in current political topics and immediately respond to them, but I'm not interested in that. So there's an even lesser chance for me to deal with current, hard, and particularly controversial political topics. Albert keeps his distance from politics, but there was a particular incident when he didn't shy away from it. Back in 1994, a new bookstore opened in Hong Kong. It was called Causeway Bay Bookstore. While this bookstore sold the usual literature and history books, it quickly became famous for selling something else. Books which were banned in mainland China. Exactly what kinds of books were these? Some would describe them as political gossip. One of the store's bestseller had described in vivid and intimately erotic detail how Peng Liren, China's first lady, had lost her virginity. For decades, Hong Kong was seen as a literary hub because it had the freedom to print and sell books on China's forbidden stories. Not only was publishing China's banned books considered a risk-free business in Hong Kong, it was also a highly profitable one. Mainland tourists would flock to Causeway Bay to buy such books. But starting in the winter of 2015, this facet of the city began to change. Starting in October, within a matter of weeks, four men who worked for Causeway Bay Bookstore and its affiliated publishing house vanished, one after another. Then in December, a fifth man was abducted in Hong Kong. Many suspected that they were all kidnapped and detained in mainland China. A few weeks after their disappearances, China's mouthpiece, the Global Times, ran a commentary. It said that many of the political books sold by the bookstore contained malicious fabrications and were the source of political rumors. The Global Times continued, Although the Causeway Bay bookstore is in Hong Kong, it maintains its existence by creating trouble for the mainland society. In a city which guarantees the freedom of publication, this incident sent jitters across Hong Kong. Remember the person at the beginning of the podcast who struggled with his answer? Let's get back to him. When I asked this publisher about the Causeway Bay bookstore incident from seven years ago, it seemed like it was still fresh in his memories, like the fear felt in 2015 was still prominent today. As a general point, I, I, I say I, I guess that episode um, scared a lot of people and we'd all like to be um, safer in our beds and not have to worry that we might be um, suddenly abducted from the streets and taken somewhere else. Uh, you know, uh, In an ideal world, uh, we would all be safe from that kind of behaviour. On January 10th, 2016, thousands of people had gathered on the streets of Hong Kong demanding for answers. These are the chants heard in a YouTube video posted in early 2016 by the South China Morning Post. 
Protesters had marched from the central government complex in Admiralty all the way to the China Liaison Office in Sainpun. During this two-mile-long trek, protesters carried black banners with the words "Vanishing Booksellers, Vanishing Two Systems" boldly printed in white text. A couple days later, an online petition started to circulate around the internet, demanding for Hong Kong's police to investigate this incident thoroughly and for Hong Kong's government to safeguard its citizens. The petition was initiated by over a dozen groups in the arts and cultural sector, and one of them was Albert's Publishing House. For that particular event, first of all, I think at that time, Hong Kong had no laws or guidelines to stop people from doing certain things. Also, it wasn't an open investigation, and they detained people secretly. I thought that incident was not okay because first. We guessed that they had done something that the CCP did not like. We can only guess because until now there's still no evidence. Second, they suddenly disappeared. They suddenly appeared in another place. How did this happen? The five men had all disappeared by December, with no one leaving any traces behind. But suddenly, starting in January, they started to reappear. On January 17, 2016, the Chinese state media CCTV ran an exclusive interview. So I want to return. That's Guaymin Hai, one of the five men who had disappeared. In front of the camera, Guay said he had been on the run after receiving a suspended prison sentence for a crime he committed 11 years ago in 2005. Guay said he had returned to the mainland of his own volition and that he had surrendered himself to the authorities. He said his disappearance had nothing to do with anyone else. The following month, the other four men did the same. Liu Bo, Li Bo, Chen Jiping, and Lam Wenqi all appeared on TV, revealing themselves to have been in Chinese government custody all this time. The men admitted that they had illegally distributed books banned in the mainland, and that they had turned themselves in voluntarily. But a few months later, in June, Lam Wenqi had returned to Hong Kong. He held a press conference and made an explosive revelation. They think I committed a crime, but of course I don't agree. I don't think I committed a crime. Lam said that while he was crossing the border to Shenzhen, he had been kidnapped, blindfolded, and handcuffed by a Chinese special task force. They wanted me to read the evidence letter I had written, and he revealed that his confession on TV was staged. If they weren't satisfied, they would edit the letter. They wanted me to memorize the letter and then recite it in the video. A reporter asked Lam how this incident had impacted him. At the time, I couldn't believe this had happened to me. It was like filming a show. It did not feel like reality. I thought I was in an absurd place. I even hoped that what was happening was a dream, not reality. As a Hong Kong citizen, I am a free person. I had never broken the law in Hong Kong, as I see it, for no reason at all. They just jailed me for five months. Lam said he had risked his personal safety in revealing all of this because he said the incident had jeopardized Hong Kong's one country, two systems policy. This incident was not made transparent. We didn't know exactly what had happened. 
This is Albert again. For anyone living in Hong Kong, not only in regards to the Causeway Bay Bookstore, this was a very abnormal incident, and we just couldn't accept it. It's not like today, where if they want you that you are breaking the national security law, and you continue breaking it, then they will arrest you. This warning that's based on the law. I may not agree with it, but at least it's transparent and made proper. Both sides can meet in court to accuse or defend their sides. But that wasn't the case in 2015. That incident was just unacceptable in a civil society. So, from this perspective, I supported the petition where we called for legitimacy in a society that's under the rule of law. Shouldn't we all be lawful? But that incident was unlawful. To a certain extent, it was an illegal action. The online petition quoted a line from Hannah Arendt's "Men in Dark Times." Even in the darkest of times, we have the right to expect some illumination. The petition went on to declare, "We are fearless in the face of oppression." We will do our utmost to uphold the belief in the freedom of the press, and will not waver under any intimidation or coercion. Thus, doing our part in defending Hong Kong as a place of safety and harbor of freedom. But ever since this incident, many, including the international media watchdog Reporters Without Borders, say that this freedom has been in free fall. As the highest organ of state power in China. That's Carrie Lam again, the chief executive of Hong Kong. And the duty to enact national security legislation for the Hong Kong SAR. On June 30th of 2020, after months of political unrest and mass pro-democracy protests, which shook the city to its core, a national security law was implemented in Hong Kong. The legislation will not undermine one country, two systems, and Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy. This highly controversial law criminalizes secession, subversion, terrorism, and collusion with foreign forces. The maximum sentencing is life in prison. Dozens of pro-democracy activists have been imprisoned, and pro-democracy media outlets have closed. Hong Kong police have arrested media tycoon Jimmy Lai in the highest-profile use of the new national security law there. Five hundred police officers have raided the offices of the pro-democracy newspaper Apple Daily. Hong Kong's national security police have widened their crackdown on media in the city. This time, targeting pro-democracy outlet Stan News. We are not targeting the reporter. We are not targeting the the, the the media. We just target the national security. Law, the offences. Online portal Citizen News will seize operations from tomorrow, becoming the third media firm to fold in six months. This crackdown, spurred by the national security law, has also extended to books. There's no official banned books list in Hong Kong, but because of that, libraries have started to take a more cautious approach, effectively self-censoring their own collections. Books by prominent Hong Kong pro-democracy figures have been taken off the shelves in the city's public libraries and are being reviewed to see whether they violate the new national security law. Not only public libraries, but primary and secondary school libraries have done the same, quietly removing books from their shelves. Most of the books that have been removed are books by pro-democracy activists, including Joshua Wong and Benny Tai, and books about the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre have disappeared. In Hong Kong, 
Public libraries are under the jurisdiction of the Leisure and Cultural Services Department. I tried to contact this department to ask how they decide on which books to remove from their collections. After multiple attempts, they finally replied via email. Dear Jasmine, a representative from the LCSD wrote, "The collections of the Hong Kong public libraries under the Leisure and Cultural Services Department must comply with the laws of Hong Kong. When the LCSD finds that the content of the collection may violate the law of the People's Republic of China on safeguarding national security in the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region or relevant laws." It will handle seriously by suspending the services of the collection and seeking advice from the relevant departments on whether the content violates the relevant law. To be honest, I was kind of surprised that they responded to me at all, but their response only left me with more questions. What relevant departments are they referring to? How long are the books suspended for? If they are suspended indefinitely, how would that be any different from banning books? I've tried calling the Leisure and Cultural Services Department several times, but each time, after listening to more than seven minutes of on-hold music, the phone never connects. We are sorry that our lines are very busy right now. Please call later. The books that were pulled from public library shelves were all non-fiction. But fiction books haven't been immune either. In July of 2021, the National Security Police held a press conference. Senior Superintendent Steve Lee held up three picture books. Don't think that this is very simple story books. These three books had illustrated Hong Kong's democracy movement. Democracy supporters were portrayed as sheep living in a village surrounded by wolves. In the first book, it illustrated the 2019 pro-democracy protests. In the second book, sheep janitors went on strike to force out the wolves who had been littering. This was a reference to medical workers in Hong Kong who had gone on strike to force the government to close its border with mainland China at the start of the COVID pandemic. The third and final book was about a group of 12 sheep who fled their village by boat because of the wolves. This was a reference to the 12 Hong Kongers who had attempted to escape to Taiwan by speedboat, but were later detained and jailed in the mainland. The publisher of these books was the General Union of Hong Kong Speech Therapists. Five members of this group have been arrested by the National Security Police. But the inside. They have、uh, some information of、uh, some of the material inside, which is、uh, with a seditious intent, which bring the hatreds against the government and the administration of the justice, and inciting the violence to the others. That thing is a particular have a particular concern for us because this is a story book for the childrens, for the childrens. The union didn't only publish these books; they had also planned reading sessions for children. But the police stepped in before that could happen. We think that we have to stop them because we don't this kind of a thing has to harm our next generation anymore. Here's a translation from one of the books. One day, the big bad wolf called all of the sheep to the square. He announced, "In a week, we shall implement the wolf sheep rules. Wolves in the village may eat all sheep." Disobedient sheep will be sent to jail. Someone on Twitter pointed out five sheep were arrested that day. Before that incident, we actually feel that oh, it's now actually quite safe in Hong Kong. This is Raymond Yang. He entered the independent publishing industry pretty recently. I was once a liberal studies teacher in Hong Kong, 
And because my participation in the 2019 protest, uh, I was hit by police projectile and uh, I lost my job eventually. So now I'm a full-time publisher uh, doing a lot of different kinds of publications in Hong Kong. Raymond may no longer be teaching liberal studies, but he still finds that experience relevant today. So as a liberal studies teacher, my education background or my experience is that we need to be neutral in everything. Like because uh, in teaching, we have to uh, let the students know both sides of the stories. Uh, we cannot try to be biased in lessons. So this is my experience. I can try to phrase something uh, in a more neutral way. And right now, this is what a publisher needs to do too. Of course, we can still talk about the protest. We can talk about what's happening in Hong Kong. But need, we need to make sure that we are not trying to influence people into thinking in a particular way. We are trying to give them more information or opinions from the others so they can make the judgments by themselves. Last summer, Raymond's publishing company, Hillway Press, became the center of media attention. Pro-Beijing newspapers, including Wenwei Po and Takum Pao, accused its books of, quote, glorifying black violence and slandering the country. Soon after those media reports, Hillway Press participated in the city's annual book fair. A book fair in a city where words now have consequences. Which resumes this week under the shadow of a new national security law. The book fair's organizer, the Hong Kong Trade Development Council, had sent Hillway Press a letter saying that three of their books may have been in breach of the national security law. Actually, a pro-establishment organization have really made campaigns to the police. And the policemen, they had came to our booth and tried to check the books. These complaints and warnings never materialized to formal arrests. But after the book fair, Raymond said that several business partners had cut ties with him. No one wanted to be affiliated with a publisher who had been slandered by a pro-Beijing newspaper. And due to this, we need to really have to decide whether we should keep on or not. And our decision made last year, at the end of last year, is that we will keep on doing this. And we have not changed our policy of to consider whether to publish a book or not. Because in Cantonese, we can call that Saisabjogotau. Like, we are on this boat already, and this boat has departed already, and we cannot go back. And if you try to go back, you need to try to play safe and publish nothing, and this is actually not doing what we want. After making that decision, Raymond thought that things were looking up. Because we survived the book fair in 2021, and we feel that, okay, maybe this is the way how we will do things in the future. Like, okay, if we try to play by the rules, if we try to look very carefully about whether our books are against the nation or against the national security law, we will be safe. But then he heard about the arrests of the five children's book publishers. This had caught him off guard. That incident told us that no, it's actually not that case because they will try to take some old colonial laws okay, in Hong Kong and trying to use whatever ways that they can think of to try to attack you if they feel that they should. Raymond's referring to Hong Kong's sedition laws, which were introduced in the early 1900s and haven't been used since the 70s. But now, ever since the national security law has been implemented, police and prosecutors are using these colonial era laws to clamp down on political speech and views. So. We are not safe anymore because we are not legal experts. We don't know whether there's a particular part of old laws that will be able to be used against us. How do you ensure that your books don't violate any Hong Kong laws and the national security law? I will say I, I cannot ensure that because I'm not a legal expert, but I will try my best. 
like I'm now the, you may say, the person who are doing all these kind of self-censorship in the company. Because you can say of my background, my liberal studies teaching experience, I know that how to phrase something in a more neutral way. Raymond said that he also pays attention to what pro-Beijing newspapers and social media accounts are talking about. So we need to keep updated, like what is the news, what is the thing that they are trying to focus on. And I will try to adjust according to what is happening in Hong Kong right now. And another type of news that we need to see is about the proceedings in courts. Albert from Dirty Press said that he was doing the same in regards to the five publishers of the children's books. I really want to hear the arguments from the court. Now I'm just guessing, and it is doubtful, I can only say that. I would like to hear the statements from the prosecutor and the defense. This is why I pay attention to this kind of news from the court, to see how the court deals with these kinds of cases, because it will give us a reference point. I may suspect that it's closely imitating real life, but does a high degree of imitation equal to the real thing? A lot of movies in the world are filmed based on reality. So if they are based on reality, then does it mean that they will easily offend the law? And like some novels, they are also based on real stories. Secondly, when you talk about the attitude, how do you judge one's attitude? When you are describing an incident that had previously occurred, how do you judge their attitude? This judgment is really important. So I think, especially for authors, and not only publishing companies, but also other media, we are all paying close attention to this judgment so that we have a reference in the future and can avoid breaking the law. I mentioned earlier that Hong Kong doesn't have an official banned books list. But does that actually make it easier or harder for book publishers? Here's how Raymond responded. Uh, I would say this goes in both ways. Like, of course, we, we feel like we have some kind of freedom. We don't have a particular authority or department to try to censor books in Hong Kong. So it seems that we have some kind of freedom. But the dangerous thing is that we really don't know whether our books are safe or not. And this is actually quite dangerous because we have already invested the money and we cannot erase the uh, the evidence too because the books are printed, they are hard copies everywhere. And this is what we feel that why publishing in Hong Kong is very, very difficult these days because after all, we are businessmen. We have to ensure our investment will, will be paid. Raymond is in the minority. There aren't many publishers in Hong Kong who are willing to take such risks anymore. Of course, because of the 2019 protest, I saw that there are lots of books that need to be published to tell the people that what's happening in Hong Kong. But due to uh, mainly the national security law, a lot of book publishers, they feel that this is simply too risky to publish these kind of books anymore. So a lot of books cannot be published. So I can say my company kind of take up this responsibility because I have prepared for maybe imprisonment already because of my participation. So I'm willing to take more risk. You have a sense of responsibility to continue what you're doing. I'm Curious, like, where does this sense of responsibility, where does that come from? I was a teacher, you know, and, and of course, I would say my job is to like to contribute to society to a certain extent already. But during the 2019 protests, as a participant, you can feel that a lot, a lot of young people, they are really suffering. And some of them are imprisoned. Some of them have ruined their studies and their future. And to me, it is 
really unacceptable, no matter from the perspective of a teacher or an adult in Hong Kong. And after the 2019 protests or the downfall of different media outlets, I would say, I, I need to do something for these young people. I still feel that I have some kind of things that I can contribute to society and I can try to contribute by doing publications. And this is to continue my responsibility as a teacher. Like we are still trying to hold up Hong Kong for these young people. When they grow up, when they, when they try to go into society, they still feel that Hong Kong is a place that they can live. Do you feel burdened by this responsibility? Uh, sometimes, yes, because like no, pe- no other people are doing this. So I would say sometimes it will be kind of pressurizing because no one is trying to do the first step. But once you have done that, once you show the people that, okay, we are brave enough to do that, the people will follow up. And so the situation is still hopeful for me. Besides Raymond, I wanted to know, why would anyone else still work as an independent publisher in Hong Kong? There's a major publishing company who has a monopoly of the entire industry in Hong Kong, and they're being controlled by the mainland Chinese government. There's the precedent in which publishing and selling books that Beijing isn't fond of could get you kidnapped and detained for months. And now, there's a law that has scared librarians into removing books from their shelves and colonial-era laws that are being used to target allegedly seditious publications. Why are local independent publishers still publishing books in Hong Kong? And can they keep doing it? Here's the anonymous publisher. I am, I am optimistic about publishing. Uh, I don't think people's curiosity ever disappears. I think people will always want to read. And if the, if the means by which books are published has to change, then publishing will change to match it because people will still want to search out stories and accounts of, of things that have happened. Albert also informed me that the national security law hasn't completely dampened the independent publishing industry. Personally, I think many publishing units are not struggling under much censorship pressure. So we still believe there are lots of topics that can be explored through book publishing. When I look at the publishing business in mainland China, the environment can be described as not as relaxed as Hong Kong's, but Chinese publishers are still able to cover a lot of subject varieties through publishing. This is because book publishing is a cultural expression. Culture is not restricted to politics. There are many other perspectives that could be explored through books. Since publishing is a cultural expression, and since culture has so many topics, then publishing can also be about a lot of different topics. To answer your question more directly, ever since the implementation of national security law, there are still many topics we can cover. Because in today's society, besides politics, there are many topics that deserve care. I had spoken with Raymond in early March of 2022, but more recently, on April 14th, he was arrested. The police charged him for joining illegal assemblies in 2019. He was soon released on bail, but now he has to report to the police three times a week, and he can't leave Hong Kong. His case will be heard on July 21st. While the police did not arrest him because of his publishing work, Raymond said that he's also prepared for that possibility. Here's what he said when we spoke in March. 
Sometimes I would say we have to be prepared to be arrested and investigated. But once we have this particular preparation, psychological preparation that we may face that, then everything should go smooth. Mm-hmm. Like we firmly believe that okay, we are not trying to be against of the nation or the government in an unfair way. And if we hold that belief, and then I think our work should be kind of safe to, to us. And if really plays out that, okay, um, it's just unsafe. Maybe we have to go through some kind of procedures by the National Security Authority or the police. Then we will follow that. I would say this is what we have to do in Hong Kong right now. I also asked him why he had chosen to stay and publish books in Hong Kong, knowing that he could be arrested at any time. In Hong Kong, it is a symbol to show that we are here. A lot of people, they due to many reasons, maybe their family or maybe their work or simply their love of Hong Kong, they would not like to leave or they can't leave. And if there's a significant proportion of people still uh, there in Hong Kong, then I do not want to leave too. Like we have to serve these people. These are very good people. These are the people uh, who have the same experience as me. And as long as these people are still in Hong Kong, uh, I, I'm still going to stay in Hong Kong to try to serve them. And this is my responsibility because of my participation in the 2019 protests. I can say I gained something from it, like I gained some kind of fame or some kind of support from the public at that time. And this experience cannot be repeated. No one can get hit by a police projectile that easily. So this is what I think now. Maybe maybe a few years later, when I start my own family, when I have my son and daughters, then maybe I think differently. But right now, I'm still single. I'm still uh, kind of safe right now. Then I will feel that I have the responsibility to stay here and try to contribute. On the night of his arrest, Raymond posted on social media. In Chinese, he wrote, Every day I spend in Hong Kong is spent working for the values I identify with and spent with the people I love. I love Hong Kong, no matter the cost. This year marks the 25th anniversary of the handover of Hong Kong, and the days of the city's one country, two systems arrangement are numbered. No one knows for sure what will happen in 2047, or even before then. And yet, there are still many people who choose to stay in Hong Kong, who are trying to make their home feel like home, no matter how much their home has changed. And the books these publishers are creating are physical evidences of these changes, stories of both erasure and of restoration, like borrowing a library book and making the most of it while it's still in your possession. That's it for the first episode of Borrowed. Next up, I'll be turning my attention to those writing books in Hong Kong.